preschool and kindergarten age, you can head back. Yeah, Miss Jan has this. She has some fun stuff in store for you, I'm sure. All right. Uh, now, if you're, if you're the elementary school age, if you haven't grabbed uh, notes and your kind of your bags out uh, in the back there, go grab something uh, that'll help you to stay engaged uh, with the sermon this morning. But uh, otherwise, let's go ahead and, and jump into it. So last week, last week we looked at the great injustice of Jesus' trial. Just injustice upon injustice, but he endured it so that we might get the, the injustice of salvation, that we who are great sinners might be treated as those who are innocent. And today we're moving from the trial to the actual crucifixion of Jesus, this immense suffering and the, the tragedy of the cross. Now, as a culture, as a culture, we tend to focus on the physical suffering. That seems to, to make sense to us that that is, uh, I, think of, I think of the depictions of the, the crucifixion, they're very physical. And we, feel, we try to talk about oh, it's the, the immense pain that he went through. But this week, uh, we're looking at Mark's portrayal, and that's not his focus. His focus is not on the physical. Instead, it's on like the, the social, emotional, relational element of the suffering of the cross. That's where the emphasis is. Now, of course, there's this great physical reality, but it's the, it's the mocking and the ridicule and the rejection of Jesus that is front and, and center in Mark's gospel. And what that makes me think of, uh, all right, what does it really mean to be mocked and humiliated and rejected, to bear shame? Uh, it takes me back to, to college days. All right. The days of social psychology. All right. Uh, so there's this experiment that they did on poor college freshmen. All right, that's all, all, all experiments are done on poor college freshmen. They just, uh, they're the lab rats and they get extra credit for doing it. So uh, they're our guinea pigs. All right, so what did they do? All right, so they bring, they bring this freshman in and sits down at a computer game. And they're playing baseball. All right, so you are, you are, you are playing catch with two other people on the computer. And what you can do, you can choose to throw it to this person or throw it to that person, and they can throw it to each other, and you're, you're kind of just throwing the ball around. And so at first it's kind of fun, and you, you, you're choosing who to throw it to, and you're getting points, and it's tracking this until, oh, it, it was your turn to get it past two, and they, they skip you. And so you're waiting, and then they skipped you again, and they keep skipping you. And you're sitting there watching as the ball goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and you're just sitting there watching, powerless to do anything. And they, they cataloged how much distress did that put people through? A measurable amount. All right, and and the, that's, that's kind of the sick reality of it. They, they put them through it, and they say, okay, how, how, do, they, how do people respond to this? Just this, this small, insignificant social suffering and rejection. Uh, it was pretty high. And the odd thing was that if you gave them painkillers, they were less distressed. 
that it registered in their brains and, and physically as, as real pain for them. And if they took Tylenol ahead of time, uh, they can manage the social rejection better. All right, there's this reality that, okay, we, we think that there's just, we're, we're very physical people. We live in a very physical culture, but it's seeing that, like, there's this great weight of, of social shame and rejection that is real pain and is real suffering, and it's to be taken seriously. And that's where Mark goes. That's where uh, the gospel of Mark goes, and we're going to see that the importance of that. What does the shame and humiliation of Jesus really mean for us? Can we appreciate it? Can it help us value the gospel a little bit deeper? And we're going to see how that, uh, that suffering, how it, it's used to, to fulfill righteousness for us, to fulfill the righteous requirement of perfection that Jesus had to attain that he might give it to us, that it fulfills the scriptures, that this mocking and rejection was crucial to obeying his Father and meeting the requirements of the Messiah and finally, we're going to see how, ironically, it is, it is this prophetic embodiment of, of the king. That it's this unlikely proclamation of the gospel. So with all that, let's go ahead and look at Mark 15, verses 16 through 32. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in the, from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, divided his garments among them, casting lots for them, to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. With him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who crucif were crucified with him also reviled him. Let's pray. Father, we... We are struck once again by the cross. Father, we, we know that it was the only path of salvation for us, and we thank you that Christ walked it for us, that he took 
took the humiliation, the shame, and the mockery, and they took it in our place. Father, we ask that we might see the great weight and burden of it. But Father, that it would not weigh us down, that instead we would be the receivers of a, of a light and easy yoke to worship and delight in Jesus and to know that that whatever shame and humiliation we experience as a result of Christ, that we have glory in store for us, that it is guaranteed in Christ, and that the, the worst has been paid for. Father, would you help us by your spirit to, to appreciate these things, to delight in Christ, and to worship him. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we begin with uh, the Roman soldiers. So far, we've kind of stayed away from Rome. We've stayed away from the Gentiles. Uh, and you could think that, okay, maybe the Jews are just terrible people. They do these such atrocities. All right, uh, the Roman soldiers, they get their day in the sun too. They have, their hearts are just as wicked. We see the exact same spirit. Verse 16, the soldiers led him away to the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. All right, so what is the scene here? So Jesus is taken to uh, the center of Roman life there in Jerusalem. And this is kind of, they're taking equivalent to the, the barracks. And who is there to meet them but the whole battalion? All right, this is a technical term. This is a, a cohort of the Roman soldiers. This is 600 people. 600 Roman soldiers are gathered together, the whole battalion all gathering around this one man. All right, there's about, probably about 150 people here right now. All right, can we, can we imagine that? That four times this amount of people surrounding you, staring at you, doing all that they can in their power to belittle and mock and just, just tear you apart. All right, we've all had the, the embarrassing dreams of being up on stage and our clothes disappears. Or, you know, like we've all had all those embarrassing, shameful dreams and thoughts. And, all right, can you imagine this? This is horrible. They clothed him with a purple cloak and twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on him. They began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews, and were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. All right. The, just the, the evil and the wickedness mixed with this, like, sick creativity that this whole group would gather together and, and put on this show of mocking this, this Jewish prisoner They're, they're, they're mocking his kingship, of course. All right, so there's these, this crown with thorns two inches long, pressed down. This reed, this reed that they're hitting with, they first use that as his, as his staff. Then they take it from him and beat him with it. Now, the focus here is on the the shaming and the humiliation. And I think it's there because, yes, the physical is, is terrible, but the, the mockery and the, 
the cruelty, I think it gets better to the, the reality of the human heart. The depth of, by which they, they're pouring out evil upon Jesus. That violence feels kind of neutral, but here, this is, this is so calculated, this is so personal, this is intentional, deliberate. As they kind of whip themselves into this frenzy of, of destroying this would-be king. Now, as we see something like this, I think we have to recognize that 99% of your interactions with human beings are constrained. They are constrained by what we call common grace. That God, he, he is tampering down the evil of the human heart. And that constantly, everyone you ever meet in our society is has chains upon their sinfulness. That they have law and order, they have fear of consequences, they have this like society imposed order upon them. And when, we, when that starts to get stripped back, we start to see the realities of the human heart. We start to see kind of evil flowing and embraced and rejoiced in. And we get a taste of that here. We get a taste of, of what humanity really looks like. And I remind us, all right, this is the human heart. You have a human heart. And to the extent that you are in denial of that this is reality, uh, it's because you've, you've never been able to get outside of the common grace constraints. But that is reality. Here it is, coming against Jesus, the, the prophet, the healer, the miracle worker. The one who came to bring blessings upon his people. Now I think this is this is I think is the saddest line. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. Now why is that? Why is it so devastating? It's because it's just a, a matter of fact. It's like this didn't even have to happen. They just kind of took their own leisurely time with Jesus to mock him and ridicule him and tear him down, and then, oh right, we have to get on with this thing and, and go back to crucifying him. It's just totally off the books. It's totally on the side. Just this, this opportunity to embrace evil and, and pour it upon the, the Christ, the Savior. Now we ask, uh, why did this happen? Why did this happen? All right, this was necessary to fulfill all righteousness. It was necessary to fulfill all righteousness and in the sense that, all right, some of you, some of you have been bullied. Some of you have been mistreated. You've been abused. You have been mocked. You have been teased. You have been torn down. That is the reality of the human experience, and Jesus had to have that and experience it to the fullest of all of its weight. Some of you experience that to the point that you are day in, day out traumatized by the experiences of, of years gone by. 
Right? Jesus could not say that he really endured all suffering, was tempted in every way, without this being poured upon him. And he has experienced it to, to its absolute that I can imagine. All right, at no point can we say that Jesus has not truly suffered, that he doesn't truly know, he doesn't truly understand. He has been in that place. He has been with us in all things. But thankfully, he, he has done it all without sin. And that's where, all right, it's hard, it's hard to say this, but, all right, he did this for both the abuser and the abused. All right, first, we, we understand, yes, he did this for the, for the abuser, the sinner, the cruel. He did this to, to pay for the sins of those that, these kinds of sins, that evil, the depth of, of evil and wickedness in our hearts. I say our hearts, not just their hearts, because this is us. This is us in, in a real sense. All right. Have you ever mocked? Have you ever bullied? Have you ever abused? Have you ever mistreated? And even more, have you ever made a mockery of, of God or of Christ? Maybe you look back to, to our pre-Christian days and We've blasphemed or just thought, thought that the foolishness of God or the weakness of Christ. Or maybe you've, you've mocked Christians. Those who are too holy or those who are embarrassing or not cool enough or too weak or too poor or too... All right, those people are, are like Christ. And oftentimes they're they're the ones that Christ identifies with the deepest. And so when we say that, that Christ did this to, to, to die for and love the abuser, right, that is us in a very real sense. All right, but he also did it to love and redeem those who are abused and humiliated. Now, he had to do this because when we are mocked and shamed and humiliated, how do we respond? We respond with anger and bitterness and retaliation. And if we had any power, we would repay with greater vengeance. We, we condemn them and hate them and despise them. We, we go bitter with humanity and with people. And that's where, shockingly, what, is, what does Jesus say after enduring all this? He says, up on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. All right. I couldn't say that. It seems like they, they know what they're doing here. But Jesus, he, he does not despise humanity in spite of their evil. He does not condemn them. He does not He's doing all this to save these very people. Knowing how desperately they need it. Knowing their blindness because of sin. Knowing that they are enslaved by one who is far more evil than they are. All right. He was perfectly mistreated. And he responded perfectly. 
He responded with perfect grace and with love, with patience and endurance, submitting to the will of his Father, and ultimately with forgiveness in his heart before they had even repented. Right. We all... We all, all, right, yeah, all, right. Uh, all right, we all need this. We all need this. All right, so when we think of our situations, when we think how horrible our lives have been, or how horrible we have been, or how horribly we have been mistreated, uh, it should point you to a Savior. All of those things should point you to a Savior. No one gets out of this. No one gets to be the, the victim or the bad, or the, the, I just need Jesus to come save me because I, all I've done is suffering. No, we have all been suffering, and we have all sinned as a result. That evil begets evil, and it is beget evil in our hearts. And Jesus endured this so that he might be the perfect one for us. That is the gospel. That is the, the beauty of what Christ has done. To those who put their faith in him, he gives us this perfect record. He did this to fulfill all righteousness for all people. All right, let's keep going. Now, We're moving away from the Roman soldiers and now we have the humiliation of the actual crucifixion and we have this beautiful fulfillment of scripture even in the the horrors of what come come to pass. All right, verse 21. They compelled the passerby Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, presumably these are believers later on who would be known to the audience, to carry his cross and they brought him to the place called Golgotha which means place of a skull. All right, so Jesus, he is, he is beaten, he is bloodied, he's humiliated. And I think in the midst of that, we still want to like, if it were us, we'd still want to hang on to a, a shred of our own pride and say, well, you know, I, I, at least I, I can carry my own cross with some kind of integrity. My head is at least held high. All right, Jesus doesn't even get that. He is, he is too weak. He is too beaten down. He cannot carry his own cross. He doesn't get to carry this, this, this little bit of honor and glory in his pocket. No, he's, he's utterly stripped of these things. Verse 23, they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. All right, what is this talking about? Uh, this is probably the equivalent of, of painkiller at the time. And there were probably Jewish women who had come to, to give a little bit of grace to these people as they die, to even the prisoners, and Jesus did not take it. All right, why didn't he take it? He didn't take it because he needed to fulfill perfectly all of the suffering and all of the sorrow and all of the pain that was due to his people. All of the punishment for sin. And he's not reserving for himself a little bit of grace. No, he's, the grace is for us. He receives all of the pain and shame and humiliation, all of the rejection, all of the condemnation. All right. How quick we are to, to get a little bit of freedom from suffering. And here is Jesus. He is... He's fulfilling it to a T, verse 22 of, or sorry, chapter 22, the psalm, verse 14. 
we start to see that the fulfillment of these things, the fulfillment of the cross, the fulfillment of the crucifixion, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. All right, these things had to be true of Jesus. And a drink of wine would, would ruin the fulfillment. And to, to keep this little verse intact, Jesus does not drink. Verse 24. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide which each should take. All right, so they just clothed Jesus so that they could humiliate him once again, playing a game at his own crucifixion, rolling the dice together to see who gets to keep his clothes. So that scripture written a thousand years before might be fulfilled, Psalm twenty-two, sixteen: For dogs encompass me. Our mind, who, who are the dogs? The Gentiles. The Gentiles are the dogs. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. All right. I, I can't, couldn't have imagined how this would all be fulfilled. And here it is, like, perfectly laid out. This is what the, the Savior had to endure. Pierced hands and feet. Rolling the dice, casting lots for the cloak. Verse 25. It was the third hour and they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. All right. Do you remember when Jesus talked to, to his disciples about his, the people who would be on his left and on his right? When they wanted glory for themselves, they wanted honor, and they said, you know, give us, give us the, the choice seats, Jesus. Give us your, your right and your left hand that we may be with you in your kingdom. All right. They didn't want that spot. Here is the spot. Here is where the, the fulfillment happens. This is, this is him and his kingdom. Verse 29, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. In fulfillment of Psalm 22, 6. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we might see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. All right. We often think of the, the man on the side of Jesus who confesses and is with him in paradise. All right, even he mocked Jesus before repenting. 
All right. There's very little hope given in this scenario. What do we see? We just see humiliation, mocking, and rejection just poured out upon Jesus, heaped upon him. And why? Why? So that Jesus could fulfill the scriptures. So that Jesus could fulfill the will of God, so that Jesus could obey his Father, so that he might complete the task that was set before him. But ultimately, like, do you see the love of your Savior here? Do you see the love of your Savior? That this one who has immense power, who is worthy of all glory and honor, no, he, he loved his people and knew that they would need deliverance from their sin. He knew that it was either him, mocked and shamed and despised and crucified, or it was us. Before the angels of heaven declaring all of our sins before us that we might be humiliated and shamed and condemned. Does your Savior love you? All right, please don't look to the world to, or your, your situation or your, your bank account or the events of your life to, to calculate that. All right, look at Jesus suffering on your behalf, look at his love. Look at his grace. Look at his kindness towards you. Look at what he endured for our sake. All right. This is pretty much the worst thing I can imagine. This is, this is absolute horror, and here is Jesus enduring it for us. Now, as I, as I say this, all right, there's an unfortunate illusion here that there's this reminder that Jesus doesn't carry his own cross. And then we're reminded that back in Mark, uh, we're supposed to bear our own crosses. That yes, Jesus does it vicariously. He does it for us. He carries the shame and the weight of it. And yet at the same time, he says, right, follow me. Bear the cross. And we ask, okay, if Jesus was willing to do this to fulfill these commandments, what commandments are we called to fulfill that will lead us down this same path towards humiliation and shame, towards mockery and rejection? Stan prayed earlier about the, the persecuted church. All right, they've endured that. They've endured that very tangibly. I don't think it's the niceness of people that has avoided our persecution. I think it's us being calculated and making sure we don't offend anyone. We are silent in the name of being winsome or, or being, being compelling or not wanting to offend people needlessly. All right, there's a time when to, to fulfill the will of God, we are called to be rejected and humiliated, that we are made a mockery of, for the sake of Christ. Now, I can think of uh, some other examples of this too. All right? A lot of you aren't going to be persecuted tomorrow. But there's other shameful things and humiliating things that you're called to do for the sake of Christ. All right? Confessing your sins. 
sharing the, the shame and weight of your sins with other people, with other Christians who can bear them with you. All right, that is a humiliating, hard, and difficult thing that could bring mockery, that could bring rejection. Uh, my hope is that it wouldn't, but to fulfill the will of Christ, we do that. We're called to do that. All right, next time you're fighting with your spouse or siblings, next time you're fighting with your sibling, all right, admitting, admitting what you actually were doing in your heart. Not just what you did outwardly, but like, no, the, the real motivation. And to say, you know what, I just wanted to punish you because I was mad at you. All right, that's incredibly shameful, but it's often true. Or like, like what, what really motivated you? They're like, oh, I was just tired. No, I, I wanted to hurt you in that moment. That's a shameful thing to admit. Honestly, fights, fights don't stop until that kind of stuff comes out. And you can actually talk about it and you say, say okay, like, there was real sin, real offense that happened. That it can only be, be brought then to real forgiveness because we've all admitted that there's, there's horrible things in our hearts. This is a shameful, humiliating process, but it, it's for the sake of the gospel. It's for the glory of God. It's done to, to obey his will. As we look at our Savior, can we walk in these same footsteps? Can we endure? Can we bear the, the weight of, of shame for the glory of God? And if you're saying no, then I, I'm glad because there's, there's more to this passage. All right, now we're going to walk through this passage and see, okay, where is the hope of the gospel here? Where is the hope for power to do this? Where does it come from? Because I don't want to. And, and the, the very thought of shame and humiliation and rejection by people is, uh, is too much to bear. Where's the power to do this? And that's where, ironically, where is the gospel in this passage? All right. The very mocking itself is the gospel. That in spite of all of this, Mark, Mark includes it, and all of these things will be and are being fulfilled even as they mock him. Even as they reject him, the gospel is being played out. We have, we have professions of truth. We have prophecies about the future. We have proclamations of the gospel. We have a recognition of who Jesus is. Like, all of this is woven in there so that when Jesus comes to glory, it's that more glorious and that more beautiful and that more majestic when Jesus is, is lifted up so let's walk through this. All right, we're going to walk through this passage again and say, okay, well, how is, how is this oddly fulfilling the gospel? How is it true? All right, the soldiers, they thought they were mocking Jesus. Like, they, they were recognizing who he was. And as much as they were rejecting it, he was the king, and they were coronating him whether they wanted to or not. That because they were rejecting him, uh, he would come with greater glory. And he was earning for himself his kingdom and his throne. Philippians 2.8 says this, Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because he did this, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right. Because they were humiliating him, they were bringing about that all of these things that they were doing in, in mockery, they will do in reality on that final day. That they will kneel. And they will declare, either willfully in submission to him, or as the defeated enemies, that Jesus Christ is king. And that he is not just king of the Jews, he is the Lord of all creation. The only reason that these things happen is, is they, they've brought it about by their own rejection. All right, I think of the, the wine with myrrh. All right, on one hand, uh, all right, what do you think of when you think of myrrh? Anything? You think of Christmas. Christmas, come on. Oh, frankincense and myrrh. Yeah, frankincense and myrrh. All right, this is, this is like one of those like little nods where like, it's like a wink. Uh, oh, remember, remember when Jesus came as king and the kings came and brought him royal riches and it's a reminder that, you know, no, he, he's always been king. But he's constantly been rejecting that kingship so that he might suffer, so that he might reign more victorious. All right, and the second thing here. What promise did he make his disciples? He promised to his disciples he would not drink of the vine until he drank it with them at the wedding feast of the Lamb. And so we don't see this as a great rejection. We see this as Jesus fulfilling his promise that in the new heavens and new earth, he will drink with us, that we will be his bride and we will celebrate because his blood was spilt, that that wine was given to us, and we now have salvation. Verse, uh, Psalm 23, 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Right. This is, this is the, the promise hidden in, in this rejection. What do they say to them? They say to him, right, you said you could destroy the temple and build it back in three days. And yet, here you are. <laughs> All right. Why is he doing that? Right, why, why is he? Jesus is the temple. He is destroying it as they speak. He is destroying the temple, and they will see it raised in three days later as he resurrects in glory. All right. It, it's, it's, they'll, be, they'll be the ones humiliated when they realize that even as they were mocking him, he was fulfilling the very things that they were accusing him of. Finally, what do they say? They say, if, if you're so great, if you want us to believe in you, then get up off of that cross. Get up off of that cross and then we'll believe. And then what does Jesus do? He gets off that cross he resurrects three days later, and he appears in all glory. 
that, that all of these people might believe. That the observers and those who rejected him might believe. That the Pharisees even might believe. That the Roman rulers might believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the king. He proves it with the, the most well-documented, well-established, historically reliable miracle of all time that he might be portrayed as our great king. Jesus has been resurrected in glory. That the further he went down into shame and mockery and humiliation, the more glory he earned for himself. And he's now not the the mocked and humiliated king. He's the one who reigns in, in supreme majesty and glory and power. Right? And he did that for you that you might do the same thing. If you are in Christ, you will be resurrected in glory. And the deeper you go into the shame and rejection for the obedience towards God, the greater you will be resurrected in glorious life. All right, remember that. The next time you're going to brush off that you're admitting that you're a Christian, think of the great glory that is to come. The next time you think, well, I'm going to be humiliated, I'm going to be mocked, Think of the great glory that is in Christ that is promised to you that those who suffer with Christ are glorified in Christ. All right, we talk about how this is great emotional, social pain. All right, that's the painkiller. That if we are truly in touch with that reality and that truth, then the the scorn of the cross is removed and, and we see the glory that is set before us. Let, us. let us live as people who believe that that glory is to come. Romans eight seventeen. If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him, I consider that our present sufferings are not comparable to the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the revelation of the sons of God. The revelation of the sons of God in all glory because we are mocked and humiliated, but we are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the work of Jesus. We are we're forced to thank you for the humiliation of the cross. We thank you that you can work glory from the most unlikely of things, that you have used the cross for your own exaltation, that we might know your great love, your compassion, your, your grace, that you might wash us clean from sin and give us power to endure. Father, would you, would you use these things? Would you help us to see Christ? Would you help us to see the glories that are set before us? And Father, would we be faithful to, to walk in whatever humiliation and shame is before us, knowing that there is glory to come? 
Father, would you help us? Would you fill us with your spirit that we may bear our crosses knowing the, that we have a Savior who, who bore that cross for us first? We pray in his name.